Judges chapter 2. We're going to backtrack just a little bit. It's been a few weeks since we've uh, had Sunday school, and the last one that we had, uh, we kind of veered off track a little bit and talked about Joseph, um, if you will, the, the earthly father of Jesus, and just kind of spent a week focusing on him, because out of all the people in, if you will, the Christmas story from uh, Matthew 1 and Luke 2, we tend to skip over him a lot. So we wanted to cover him in some level of detail, but we're going to jump back in. Judges chapter 2, look at verse 11. We're not going to reteach this. We're just kind of going to backtrack a little bit to catch ourselves back up. Uh, Judges 2 verse 11, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Excuse me. One thing when we did cover this about three weeks ago that I failed to mention is if you actually look here, there are three different names listed. There's Balaam, Baal, and Ashtaroth. In your Bible, Balaam and Baal are almost always the same God. Just throwing that out there. There's an intriguing little note to keep in it, keep track of here. If you pay attention to just basic grammar in your Bible, those all three of those names are actually capitalized. Meaning that the people of these areas truly believed that these were gods. You have to take that into account. We understand that they were genuinely, they were worshiping an actual idol. In a lot of cases, they were carved out of stone or wood. But these people truly believed that that hunk of stone would do something for them. You you have to kind of keep that in your head. Because sometimes we, as modern-day Christians look at that, and you, you walk into the, the, the Chinese buffet, and they got their little, you know, Buddha statue, and he's got a bowl of rice sitting in front of him, and that's, that's just nuts. What are you guys doing? Come on. But to someone, that is an little g God. So something to keep in note here is the Bible actually says they followed other gods, of the gods. That's plural, several times. Gods of the people. The reason Bible uses plural is, well, number one, Baal and Ashtaroth, that's, that's two, that's a plural right there. But each of these, we talked about this at the very beginning of the chapter, or very beginning of the book, and at the end of the book of Joshua, almost everything during this time period was run as a city-state. The idea of an empire, we are in the United States of America. There are 50 technically separate tiny countries all under the unifying flag of one country. Are we Okay. That's literally what we are. We are a republic, a series, a setup of separate nations all under one unifying flag. Are we okay with that? That's an empire, by the way. We also own Guam and Puerto Rico, which spreads us out even further. The United States technically is a small empire. By ancient standards, we're a massive empire. Are we okay? I know, history. I'm so sorry. Geography. (laughs) It's New Year's. We're not supposed to cover this stuff. Welcome to school. All right, you're going to be all right. That idea, though, of a unified city-state nation, Israel was one of the first in all of world history. We don't think about that very often. Look through just history. I'm not talking Bible. I'm talking act like history, which, by the way, corroborates the Bible every time. Israel was one of the first unified nations 
that existed like this. Everything prior to this was a handful of city-states. Sometimes it would be one. Jericho was its own city-state. In fact, it was one of the most formidable that the children of Israel had to face. We've talked about that repeatedly. Others, there were full, whole collections. Remember near the end of the book of Joshua, they took down a collection of what was it? Seven kings all at one time. Are we okay? So that there was these groups back and forth. And each of these city-states, each of these collections of people had their own variations on the exact same God. Baal could be worshipped, to use our modern day, that would mean Baal would be worshipped differently in Connecticut than he would be in California. He would be worshipped differently in Alaska than he would be in Hawaii. Same God, same name, same origin story, slightly different variation of worship. We okay? So the Bible talks about other gods. The, the Benjamites had a different version of Baal that they worship than the people of the tribe of Judah. Same name. The worship was slightly different. Are we, we, we good? Some of you are just completely glazed over. I've lost you. I mentioned the word geography and you just shut down because like third grade flashbacks and you're just dead already, okay? That... That's an important little note because as we read through the rest of the book of Judges, there are other gods named in here. And in some cases, we talked about this several weeks ago, Ashtaroth. The name Ashtaroth shows up as at least three different names in your Bible. There's Ashtaroth, Ashtoreth, and Asherah, same goddess. Different names, the worship is slightly different every time. Are we okay? So the Bible talks about these guys worshiping other gods. For the most part, not exclusively, but for the most part, during the book of Judges, it's two of them, Baal and Ashtaroth. Okay? And I'm not going to go into more detail on that. If you want to go, you can go backtrack that on YouTube. But let's jump into verse 14. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. The first thing to take note of here is Israel has already had incomplete obedience. What was their number one priority under Joshua. Destroy the people. It wasn't just conquer and possess the land. Destroy your enemies. Did they complete that task? Yes or no? No. In fact, they went from... They, Bible. Remember, we talked about this in chapter 1. Judah and Simeon, they tried, but they came up against one enemy that was too strong for them. The one with the chariots of iron. Do you remember that? And they just kind of stopped. There's, that, and there's no indication, we've already talked about this, that they even went and asked God for help, even though God said, I will deliver them into your hands. They came up against an enemy that was a little too tough, and they just stopped. By the time you got to the end of chapter 1, they weren't just like complacent with the enemy staying there. They were now living with the enemy. What did they do as opposed to destroying the people? What did they do? They made them tributaries. They, made them, they charged them taxes. They're like, hey... We can make money off these punks. God never told us that part. I think he'd be okay with that because he'd rather have us have that money than them. That's like a Christian playing the lottery. Your odds of winning are like, you know, the same as finding a Big Mac on the moon. 
But you're like, well, it'd be better if a Christian has that money. You're not going to give it to God. Come on, you know that. You're going to blow it like every other punk that's ever won the lottery, and you're going to end up destitute by the time you die. Pay attention to the odds, okay? They're not in your favor. Just throwing that out there. That's kind of what the, the Israelites decided to do. They're like, hey, if we choose to like not kick these people out, we could make a couple bucks off of them. Now, here's an odd little thought. You realize that for about 450 years, the Israelites had no way of making money. You ever thought about that? What did they do in Egypt? They were slaves. Do slaves have good paying jobs? No, no, and the benefits are worse, okay? And then for 40 years, they wandered around the wilderness. Was there any indication anywhere through the books of Moses that they made any money during that time? This is not, not really. Yeah, they conquered somebody and took their stuff, but they didn't, there wasn't like buy and sell and get gain. It was sporadic at best. There wasn't much. This is one of the first times in Israel's new history they've had a chance at repeat revenue. We okay? I know, I know. This is heavy stuff right here. We have math, we've had history, we've had geography. We're gonna hit all the subjects before you're done and you're gonna never come to Sunday school ever again, I promise, okay? But the key part of this right here is the anger of the Lord was hot. The Bible talks about the anger of the Lord repeatedly. In fact, outside of his love, his anger and or wrath are one of the, it's actually one of the most mentioned attributes of God. He's a, the Bible calls him a jealous God. He has given us much that he demands much in return, like all of us. Are we okay with that? He gave his son, so he demands all of us, all of our attention, all of our time, anything we can possibly give him. But the idea of the anger was hot. This is, this is Hulk-level rage here. If I'm your younger son, we're going to get nerdy for a minute here. God, God is about to give his people up and let them be destroyed. Not to hurt them, but to help them. Which is a kind of a weird thought. Most of us in this room are parents. We teach our kids to do right and wrong. We pray that they'll do right and wrong. We bring them to church to reinforce the idea of doing what's right and avoiding what's wrong. But every one of us have seen at some point, even amongst the youngest, they have to make that decision for themselves at some point. And God's tried for decades. He gave his people direct orders and they ignored him. He gave them direct, direct orders. Do this, don't do that. And they've decided to skip over his word and do what they wanted anyways. Fine. But this isn't a passive aggressive, fine, go hurt yourself. I can't help you anymore. This is an aggressive aggressive. Fine, you don't wanna listen to me? Let's ruin your life and see what happens. Because he's God, he's got all the power. You do realize when it comes to any event in your life, God's got all the chips. He wins every time. He's got all of it. 
we act like we've got some of it under control, that we've got an ace up our sleeve, but he's God. He stacked the deck because he created it. And Israel's about to find out you don't go against the creator. And this is a big problem because Israel takes a really, really long time to learn this lesson that unfaithfulness to God has consequences. And by the way, he's actually just keeping his promise. You do realize that some of the promises God gave us aren't positive. We only tend to focus on those positive. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He won't leave us, but we can leave him and he's gonna let us ruin and ravage our lives by leaving him. That's also the alternative of that. And Israel's about to learn this. In fact, go to Leviticus chapter 26. This is, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but the entirety of chapter 26, almost the entirety of chapter 26 of Leviticus, is God reiterating and repeating what they need to do. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 1, ye shall make you no idols nor graven image, neither rear up, or rear you up a standing image, neither shall ye set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. He goes on throughout this chapter and actually repeats it in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you choose to serve idols, I don't have to bless you anymore. By the way, is that a fair statement? Yes or no? Oh, yeah. Guys, I'm, this is God Almighty. I'm willing to bless you and give you everything you need. I'll deliver all your enemies into your hands, uh, the land flowing with milk and honey. I'm, I'm giving you everything I've promised and then some. All I ask in return is that you love me and serve me. You choose not to do so, I don't have to keep my end of the deal. That's fair, correct? That's very fair. Israel's about to find out. They made a bad move. And this bad move, unfortunately, gets repeated for about the next 10 generations, which is a problem. Go, uh, I want you to jump here to Hebrews chapter 8. One of the most beautiful parts of the Bible is anytime there's a negative like this, God's got something to kind of help. Hebrews chapter 8, this is, if you will, this covenant that God set with the children of Israel in Leviticus. He, he set it in Exodus, Leviticus, repeated it in Deuteronomy, and then it's actually repeated throughout your Old Testament. No other gods before me. Did that covenant between God and his people, did it work long term? No, it didn't. And here's why. Because it was a covenant of rules. Think about it. You can't follow every rule. Drive on Route 15 and you just broke a whole bunch of rules. Turn signals, speed limits, not swearing at strangers, whatever it might be. You've just broken a whole bunch of rules. I was coming back from Derby yesterday morning. I was going 70 on Route 15. Wait, nobody's copping here, right? Okay, just throw. I was going 70. I was getting passed like crazy. Congratulations, I have broken the rules. If you have an entire covenant set up of rules, at some point you will break them. Meaning every Israelite that has ever existed under the law had no, no way of ever getting into heaven. But there's a new covenant. Amen. Hebrews chapter eight, look at verse six. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better 
promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. The second covenant, by the way, requires oddly little of us, except for faith, because Jesus paid the whole price of that covenant. Now, that's an amazing thing. The problem is most of us as 21st century, a lot of us second generation Christians in this room, we abuse that like crazy. You realize that the Israelites were constantly working to do what was right because they were afraid that they'd make a mistake and not go to heaven. You and I know heaven's guaranteed and thank God for that. But that's our excuse to do what we want when we want. That's not how it works. The ultimate payment requires the ultimate response, which means we should be working even harder than these ancient Jews did to do what's right, to be the correct vessel that God needs us to be. The Bible talks about striving unto perfection. You and I can never hit perfection. We cannot do it. We cannot do it. Let me repeat that. We cannot do it. But we can try. I met an old preacher when I was up at Grace that, and I stole this concept from him years ago. It is not original to me in the slightest. Uh, it was Willard Thomas. Do you remember him? Willard Thomas, big old Georgia preacher. I mean, big. I mean, what, six, five, six, six, big skinny guy. He is actually responsible for writing the poem Footprints in the Sand. He is genuinely, I, I've actually seen the original copy that he hand wrote of that. One of the most amazing preachers I've ever heard in my life. Think like Baptist Dr. Seuss. Like his whole sermons were in rhyme. Am I kidding? It, it was just nuts. 45 minutes and you're like, wait, you're, you're, you're done? Because the whole thing just, if, if he'd been a different color in a different era, he'd be an amazing rapper. Um, just throwing that out there. But he, he had this statement, this thought, that every morning when his feet hit the floor, he said, God, let today be the day I don't do anything wrong. I stole that from him years ago. Can I tell you in the 16, 17 years I've been stayed, making that statement, I've not had one. I've had some that were better than others. I've had some a whole lot worse than others. But if that's in the back of your head, God, today let, let today be the day that I don't do anything wrong. Because that's striving unto perfection. You and I cannot earn perfection. It will not happen. But these ancient Jews, they had a whole series of rules, by the way, an unattainable series of rules, which I think God set on purpose to prove to them, you can't earn heaven on your own. You need a sacrifice. Thank God for a better covenant. But you and I should work to be worthy of that better covenant. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Let's go back to Judges chapter 2. I'll stop meddling and we'll start Sunday schooling again. We good? Okay. Here's why, and I'm just giving you an ounce of Bishology. Bishology is where it's not directly stated in the Bible, but I think if you read this whole thing in context, it makes sense. I personally believe verses 14 and 15 
are here for a reason. If you look at the end of verse, uh, or just read verse 15, it says, Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Why would God actively work against his people? Because it knew it would turn them back to him. Think about it. I've told you this repeatedly as we've gone through this early portion of the book of Judges, that this is an example of us, even modern day. We want and talk to God the most when we are in the greatest distress. We think we don't need him when life is good. Can, can I give you a little, little two, two seconds here? I think that's why God's given us some of the presidents he's given us over the last 10 to 12 years. To remind us we need him and it's not about who we voted for. Well, the economy's bad. God. But the, you don't, God. But I, gas, God. He's letting Israel figure this out. Unfortunately, for their sake, they did figure it out. And then they forgot. And then they figured it out. And then they forgot. And then they figured it out. And then they, I could keep doing this for a while, by the way. It's just like us. We figure it out. Things go well. Economy starts booming. Gas prices go down. Jobs are great. And then we forgot. Greatly distressed. Oh, Lord, we need you again. Things start to look up. The same cycle's happening, ladies and gentlemen. It hasn't actually stopped since the book of Judges. Why? Because people are stupid. And we are people, all of us. The Bible calls us sheep. Sheep are really not smart animals. I have 30 animals now. We're picking up a hedgehog tomorrow for Paisley and Callie. They're going to name it Bacon. I think that's a great name for a hedgehog. No? Oh, what are they naming it now? Oh, it's changed names like six times. Bacon's the only one I've heard so far. But we're picking that up tomorrow. Some of my animals are smarter than others. I have a lizard upstairs in my classroom. She can actually, I've actually purposely hidden her food all around her enclosure because she's smart enough to figure it out. She's even figured out how to open things to get to her food, which is great. Incredibly intelligent little animal. I have a turtle, though, that if that thing swims into a corner... It's stuck. They're so dumb. Most turtle and tortoise species, their brain makes up about 1% of their total body mass. This turtle, she's about that big, little, little baby snapping turtle. That means that her brain is about as big as a ballpoint pen ball. By the way, that's kind of what God thinks of us. Why do you think he had to give us so many examples of people doing the wrong thing? Because he was hoping at some point it would sink in. The book of Judges, they go through about 13 different repetitions of God says do this. I don't want to. All right, fine. Things get bad. But Lord, I need you. Okay, I'll deliver you. But I don't. Over and over and over and over. Why? Because we're just as dumb as a turtle. I know, that's very offensive. You'll get over it because that's the truth. Verse 16, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges. That is possibly one of the most important phrases out of the entire book of Judges. Verses 14 and 15 are why God needed to judge them and turn them over to evil, the spoilers that spoiled them, as the Bible says, but nevertheless. God loves you and I no matter what we do. You are literally never too far from God. 
you cannot run. There is literally nowhere you can run that God cannot get you. Why? Because he's already there. He is everywhere all at once. You can never get too hopeless for God. You can never get too depressed for God. You can never get too angry for God. You can literally never get away from God because nevertheless. God raised up and says, nevertheless, the Lord. By the way, that's capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah God, the Almighty One, raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. <clears throat> Verse 14, he handed them over to the spoilers that spoiled them, but then he delivered them. Why? Because he loves them. He loves us. As dumb as we are, as many mistakes as we tend to make, as many times as we repeat the same dumb mistakes, God still chooses to love us. We don't even love ourselves or each other that much. Remember, Peter asked, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven, right? That's good. No, 70 times seven. Can you just imagine with me, based on some of Peter's character that we read through the Bible, he probably actually kept a running tally for a while there. Just think about it. As, as the person we know of Peter, there is probably, John, that's, that's number 392. You better chill out, bro. Because once I fill this tablet up, I ain't forgiving you no more. I just, think about it. Of what we know of Peter, that's a pretty logical statement. It's Bishology. I can't prove that with Bible. Just that idea, we don't even forgive each other. Somebody says something, I don't like your tie. Oh, they hate everything about me. No, you have an ugly tie. I'm sorry. But we'll write somebody off for the dumbest moment. The, the, a single sentence and we'll, we'll write them off forever. I'm done with that person. But God still loves us. We've written off God how many times? I don't need him. I can do that. But he still loves you. He gave you a whole series of commandments. Do this, don't do that. We ignore them and he still loves us. And that's exactly what it's showing the children of Israel. Anybody who ever tells you that the children of Israel only ever lived by a series of rules is never read, nevertheless. Because God proved he loved his people over and over and over again. All he asked for was one simple thing from his people, obedience. By the way, that's the same thing he asks of us, simple obedience. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Go to church. Amen. Meditate therein day and night. Amen. Read your Bible. Pray every day. All he asked for, if you really break it down, it's a really simple set of things, and it's just basic obedience. That's all he's asking from any of us. But let's finish this verse here. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them, and yet they would not hearken unto their judges. But they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the, uh, obeying the, commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. 
And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. And this is where it literally, the book of Judges proves exactly what I've already stated. People aren't smart. God raised up a judge, told them exactly what they needed to do. And in this case, it actually was physical deliverance from an enemy. They rejoiced, amazing, but they hearkened not to the voice of the judge. God's given us a pastor who's been here for almost 25 years. But in that amount of time, I was gone for about 13 of those years between college and work. And I watched from afar as people left church. They chose not to hearken. Most of the people that have left that didn't leave because of work and found another good church to go to in other states, those that just left because they didn't like what God told pastor to say, distressed, greatly distressed. Why? Because our actions have consequences. You can't walk away from God and expect your life to go well. It just doesn't work that way. You can't expect the blessings of God if you'll ignore everything that he asks you to do. He asks of you simple obedience. Well, no, I don't need to do... You can't expect life to go well and get blessings. That's just not how it works. And that's literally what's happening here. And if you want to mark, if you're like me and you mark in your Bible, verse uh, 16 to 19, this right here is the entirety of the book of Judges encapsulated. This is, this is... Exactly, by the way, this is the cycle of the book of Judges repeated. They do wrong, verses 14 and 15. God delivers them, verse 16. They choose not to listen. They get worse than the group before them. That's actually what it says here uh, in verse 19. Corrupted themselves more than their fathers. You and I choose not to listen to God. We're the oldest group in this church. We are the parents and grandparents of this church. We choose not to listen to God. The little kids and teenagers on the other end of this building are going to do way worse than we've ever done. Every single time. Why? Because God told us that's what happens. And God can't lie. And he's been proven correct for about 4,000 years of human history. We have to do what's right. Why? So the next generation has a model to follow. Because if we don't teach them, and not just do as I say, not as I do, we have to teach them by how we actually live all of this out. Not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, by the way. On Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the days you don't come to church. Because those are the days your kids actually pay attention to whether or not you're actually being a Christian. We all look great at church. Why? Because that's where we're supposed to look like Christians. What do you look like on Monday afternoon, Tuesday night, Friday, set? We okay? Because that is going to make the biggest impact on the next generation. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for everything you do.